This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. Welcome to the Crown Gridiron Nation podcast. We used to have a radio show, but we can get all the same information out doing this. Yeah. And I, I think we had, a, we had a number of people that uh, followed us in podcast form anyway for the last couple of years. Well, I know that I did. Uh, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not a terrestrial radio guy in general these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got satellite radio in my car and, and I swear by it. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's awesome, especially if you're driving around on a Saturday. Which I was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you want to listen to College Ball in the States. Yeah. I was doing that yesterday as I drove from my home out in Langley, an hour outside of the city here in Vancouver to Point Grey. So I was in the car for an hour and I've got like six or seven different college football games to choose from to listen to. So, you know, checked in on a couple of the Canadians playing and uh, listened to Tennessee finish embarrassing themselves. Oh, that and, was bad. <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. Remember when Tennessee went and hired Philip Fulmer to, to save that program and bring it back to its former glory? How's that going? I, I was there the day that lightning struck Tennessee. I was, I was at Neyland Stadium yeah. where it all collapsed into the center of the earth. It was right. Peyton Manning Day against Georgia, mm. and Tennessee was ranked. I think mm. they were ranked 23rd in the nation, right. and they lost 41 nothing. their worst loss in 105 years. Yeah. And that stadium, there may have been 15,000 people left out of 104,000 by the time the, 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 the final gun went off. But there, there was all the hype. Peyton was there. Uh, the uh, the tailgate parties were as far as the eye could see. Knoxville glowed orange, yeah. and it was great going over to the wrong side of the tracks the day after because I quickly realized that that, that most of the African American folks in the Knoxville area uh, they tend to be Georgia fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, no, you know it's it's sad to see. Uh, where that that program's fallen to. I've always kind of been sympathetic to Tennessee. I don't know whether it's the creamsicle uniforms or Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good academic school. It has been a very storied college football program, but they've been in the wilderness just about since Peyton left at this point yeah, in time. Yeah. And I mean, that's we're talking 25 years now. Yeah. Like it's It's been a long time since Tennessee was a nationally relevant program. And you just wonder like, when's, when's the turnaround gonna come for those guys? Well, if you want pure entertainment, folks, tune in to a uh, Tennessee post-game show. First of all, they go Anywhere for six hours. Yeah. Anywhere in the SEC. <laughs> but Tennessee these days, maybe they're more despondent now. That yeah. They were fearing that they were going to be buried after that Georgia game. Yeah. Uh, and I drove around in the car and just listened to it for hours. Uh, by the way, uh, I've never seen so many um, uh, pickup trucks drive over sidewalks as I have after a Tennessee 41 nothing loss. <laughs> this is a joke that's only going to make sense to people that live here, but living in Langley, I, I would challenge that notion. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we should shine, shine a light on the process uh, a little bit behind this show and how it comes together. We record on Sundays. Yeah. And it's great from about week three out. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. In week one and two, it is hell on wheels, man, because mm. there's games going on right now yep. that we build our scripts around and try to anticipate the outcomes of. Uh, for instance, on Monday we've got uh, we've got Western and Queens. Yep. You know, if Queens if Queens upsets Western, it's going to be a huge, huge upset, and like Queens winning over their biggest rival on top of it all, mm -hmm. and this Queens alumnus is going to be on set, not having said a word about it. It's going to look weird. Yeah. Well, what we what, the way we cover that off is we'll do um, we'll do more of a highlight pack. Yeah. And then I get to voice the highlight pack. Yeah. Uh, I live in a, in a place called Bowen Island. So those those of you across Canada or in parts of the United States that are listening. That it's an island about three kilometers off the coast of Vancouver. Yeah, it means it means that his car runs on canola oil. No, not my car, not my Chevelle. <laughs> <laughs> my Chevelle gets about six miles to the gallon. Um, but uh, what we do is is I hop on the ferry. I go across on Tuesday. I, I meet up with my line producer Adam. He has a voice recorder and a blanket. I hide under the blanket so the, the voice doesn't the echo in the, the car <laughs> and we don't pick up background noise. And I do all the voiceovers. Right? That, that, that's how we throw this thing together with, it's a, with basically it's, the two of us putting the show together. Yeah. And the kind folks at TSN and the kind folks yeah. at Hubcast. But really it comes down to Adam and I in a car in front of a fish and chips place yeah. with me under a blanket oh, and Tuesdays, him staring Tuesdays on. Tuesday's all you can eat at the fish and chips places. Oh, really? So yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. all right. Yeah, if you go to Salty's, the chain around here, oh, yeah. it's all you can eat every Tuesday. Well, so. that, well, geez, that... <laughs> That's on my budget. Hey, hey, I'm an offensive lineman. You know, you know that I have a radar for all you can eat food places. But so. but, but in in uh, Horseshoe Bay, it's trolls. You got to go yeah, to trolls yeah, for fish yeah. and chips, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, you were out at the uh, UBC Regina game. Yep. Uh, and it was not pretty if you were into blue and gold. First of all, because they've changed the blue and gold, which I think is a travesty myself. Yeah. Uh, royal blue and the gold yellow they have are UBC colors. We grew up with them. The only time that UBC went into the tank really as a football program is when they picked up those St. Louis uniforms. Yeah. And then they finally went back to tradition. And now Gilles Lapine, uh, on his way out the door, as one of the last things he does, changes the colors of the team back again to navy yeah. and metallic gold. What's up with that? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it was uh, roughly around the time that he left. I don't know whether it was necessarily his decision or not, but it certainly... <laughs> looks like it. There were, yeah, there were certainly some people around there that uh, it didn't necessarily sit great with. And I, I know I agree with you. Like, navy is a dulled-down version of blue. And, I mean... <laughs> The, the team I coach wears navy, so I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it can be a really sharp look, but I just, I, I don't know what was wrong. Well, here here is the basis of it. The basis of it, too, though, is they've changed suppliers again, too, yeah, right? They're back so, to Nike, aren't they? No, they're back to, they're back to Adidas. Oh, they're back to Adidas. Yes, wow, Adidas is really pulling out of the market here when it came to uh, university teams. Yeah, uh, Adidas is affiliated with, with Big Kahuna, uh, who's okay. now their supplier, yeah. um, and that's what's changed. Uh, so Big Kahuna is their supplier, and uh, but I like the Adidas kits that they had when they first went to Adidas mm -hmm. back in Blake Nill's first year, yeah. uh, where they just had the royal blue with the with the gold straight on the royal blue, no mm -hmm. accent color, anything like that, and then the matte blue helmets. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that I love matte helmets, period. But that was a 
really, really sharp look. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. And then last year they started messing around with the black stuff, which I hated. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of somewhere in the middle. And I know I was talking to people at the game last night. Um, see if you can find some pictures or clips from that game. But uh, to me, their uniforms look like Navy meets uh, Pitt. Was mm -hmm. kind of kind of the vibe mm -hmm. I was getting. Mm -hmm. It was Navy on Navy, and then the helmets they have are straight out of the Army Navy game from about two or three years ago, uh, with the like horizontal stripes around. It's white on top, and the Navy around the ears. So, it, I don't know. It's I don't particularly like the new look. I know people within the program actually really do like the new look. So honestly, with uniform stuff, if the players like it, that's that's, that's, that's the win. That's yeah. all you're yeah, looking that's for. That's all so. that matters. So. At the end of the day, although I do believe that you've got to stick with your traditional colors. Yep. From from pillar to post, uh, you really do. Um, outside of the uh, uniform transgressions or impressions, uh, what did you make of that uh, game against Regina? It, was it Regina being that good? Was it UBC being that bad? Um, probably a little both. Uh, I'll tell you, Josh Donnelly looked pretty good. But uh, one tidbit, I don't know if you caught this, but one tidbit I found out about that game, actually Stephen Bryce responded to somebody, the head coach of Regina, he responded to somebody on Twitter with this because uh, one of the UBC staffers was trying to figure out how UBC ended up kicking off to start both halves. Mm -hmm. And they went, how, how on earth could this happen? Is this a refereeing mistake? And Coach Bryce goes, nope. Instead of deferring on the opening kickoff, they said we want to kick. So, and he goes, we chose to receive in the second half. <laughs> and, and I gotta be Yikes. honest, like that's not Yikes. in a in a thirty point game. That's not overly consequential in the grand scheme of things. But what it does speak to is it speaks to an unfocused team. Presence of mind. Yeah, that's you what can't be making to. that mistake at that level. Your captains cannot be making that mistake at that level. But do you think some of the things that that have gone on behind the scenes with UBC and funding evaporating from private sources and those sorts of things contribute to an so, unfocused yeah. team hitting the field for their first game. Well, and on top of it all, said private sources being in the headlines for other reasons as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's there's been a lot of a lot of noise around the UBC program and, and very little that's had to do with actual football. Mm -hmm. And and that's unfortunate, uh, especially when you're turning over a roster that uh, you know this is a this is a young roster for UBC and and they they've got some guys that need to grow up pretty fast for them. Uh, if they're going to be a competitor, uh, not the least of which is Tommy Yanchuk, who for a first performance I actually thought was pretty good. Uh, I think he threw for about 280, something like that. Uh, wasn't as good as, as Donnelly on the other side, uh, who was quite impressive. But uh, where UBC really fell short, I thought their secondary really struggled. Mm -hmm. uh, they did get some pressure on Donnelly. I think they ended up with three sacks as a team. Uh, but Ben Hladek was pretty quiet. Uh, A.J. Blackwell wasn't playing. And, and there, was, there were lots of Regina receivers with lots of space to run. So, um, yeah, it, it just it wasn't a good night for UBC all in all. Although one thing that uh, was really heartening, and i got to give credit to UBC for this because I remember talking about it when I was playing there that they needed to do this. But they managed to tie in freshman move-in day with this game. And the stands were packed to start the game. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that was that emptied out by about halftime. And frankly, the way the game was going, I don't necessarily blame them. Yeah. But yeah. that was, I was expecting there to be flies in that stadium, uh, being Labor Day weekend, locals being out of town, all that kind of stuff. And it was a really good crowd. And that is a really good sign for UBC. Yeah, UBC's managed to uh, build two big event games now. Mm -hmm. they've, got, they've got that opening weekend that they can do mm -hmm. either with move-in or, or freshman, mm -hmm. and then they've got the, the other game, which is the uh, quote-unquote homecoming game. Yes. 
Uh, and then and then you're back to your traditional drop off of fans down to twelve hundred per game or seven fifty or whatever. Yeah, but uh, they they are doing a far better job, an exponentially better job at putting on that event in the stadium mm. uh, than they did when I was there, uh, you know, six seven years ago now. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about things outside of Vancouver when we do these podcasts, but at the same time, Simon Fraser is gearing up for a pretty interesting game next week against Portland State. And you were talking about uh, driving around on a Saturday and listening to satellite radio. That's how I followed Arkansas Portland State. Mm -hmm. Portland State uh, scored seven, a seven-point game in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and they were driving. Yeah. And they, they could have tied that game yeah. up or even taken a gamble and gone for a two-pointer. They, they were really close. Yeah. They, uh, they scored on their opening drive, and mm -hmm. then statistically, it was really Arkansas's game yep. as well it should be. But they hung around in there. They stuck around in that game like a, like a, like a bad smell from a crawl space, man. They, they were uh, a, a team that I'd be very scared of if I were the Simon Fraser clan. But then again, it's just a statement game for Simon Fraser to go down there and plant a flag and say, we're yeah. here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And we're recruiting from everywhere through the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. That's been uh, Thomas Ford, the new head coach of Simon Fraser. Well, not so new now. Yeah, He's been say, here yeah. for a while now. Uh, he, that's been the imperative uh, uh, angle for him in terms of recruiting. Yeah, Canadian kids. Yeah, Vancouver kids. But yeah, I'm willing to go east. But there's also a limited number of top-level schools in the Pacific Northwest, and he thinks he can tap into that base. Yeah, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's got lots of connections in Washington State himself, but uh, he's also filled out the coaching staff with guys that have connections throughout the areas he wants to recruit. I was telling you before we started recording, he's got a coach on staff from, at least one coach on staff from uh, Washington, Oregon, California, British Columbia, Alberta, uh, Manitoba. I think there's somebody from Winnipeg, and then there's a, uh, an Ontario guy too. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot of reach and a lot of local connections to tap into. He's been really ambitious with his recruiting. And frankly, for a guy just entering year two at a program that was, let's put it, let's put it nicely, moribund when he took over, mm -hmm. he's pulled some pretty good recruiting classes in his first couple of years. So, um, you know, it's definitely a program on the rise. Uh, they have uh, fixed their kicker situation from last year. The kid they had last year was, a, was an excellent punter but he single-handedly lost them their last game. Mm -hmm. missed, I think he missed six kicks. Oof. Like it, it was horrific. It was, anyway, I'm not gonna get too much into it, but that alone, there's another win on their schedule from last year. You know, it, it's, it's a slightly different conference this year. Humboldt State now no, no longer plays, um, but it'll be interesting to see because um, them and Azusa um, should be pretty good, but, um, the it's it's uh, Western Oregon is going to be good and strong at the top, and then there's Central Washington who the, dominates. The, that the, they have an interlock with the Lone Star Conference. Yeah, that's fantastic. That, yeah. that that's one of the top Division two conferences in all of the United States. Yeah, it is. And and it's really um, going to be a challenge for the GNAC, which when you take a look at the top twenty five in Division two, usually the top teams are floating somewhere in the middle to the bottom of that top 25. Yeah. This, this is kind of a make or break thing with, given the number of teams that they have in the GNAC, mm -hmm. but also a way for them to establish themselves better uh, on, on, the, uh, on the national scene. Yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't go well, you have to challenge yourself at this point in time if yeah. you're them. The conference membership has shrunk 
by a couple schools in the last few years. You know, Dixie State used to be in that conference. It's no longer. Uh, one of the I think it was like South Dakota School of Mines or something like that mm-hmm. was in that conference. It mm-hmm. isn't anymore either. Um, so they got to do something uh, to raise the level of play and get themselves more exposure. And, you know, it, the, that also builds into Simon Fraser going down and taking on an FCS squad. Like, that's... That's an ambitious move and, and good on them. And I would assume that they're probably getting a pretty decent chunk of change for the program to make that trip too. So I think, I think it's all good for SFU. And, and frankly, like realistic expectations for them, I think, are keeping this within, within 40. And, and I know that anybody out there hearing this will probably scoff at that notion. But it, I'd say that's probably realistic based on what we saw from Portland State last week. And if they do keep it anywhere close... Oh man, that's something they can build on. Like that—that that is something they can trumpet. Hey, we are—we are right at the bottom of the hill right now, but we are already competing with FCS schools. Well, you know, come come and join us. Let's let's get this because we got a high ceiling on this program. What, what's uh, what's close in your mind? Uh, twenty-eight or less? Twenty-eight to thirty? Like yeah, four yeah, scores? I would say twenty-eight or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say. I would say anything within that, I think you can start trumpeting, hey, we're pretty competitive with these guys, and they are competitive with the SEC. You know, this is a pretty good pretty good level of ball that we're playing here. So um, that that's all positive, and I, and I, I also think it's cool they're going to go down there essentially looking like Team Canada with their slick new rebrand this year. So, um, yeah, lots of positives that, for that. That, that reminds me, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm kind of responsible for Team Canada now. Yeah. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the president of, uh, of Football Canada, and, uh, you know, I take a look at what U-Sports has to offer on the international scene, mm-hmm. and I know international football is scoffed at by some, but with Randy Ambrosi's 2.0 plan, uh, there's got to be a, a bigger role for um, for for U Sports for Canada uh, as a catalyst to to drive this international uh, model forward. And one of the things that I see is recruiting, international recruiting. If you could create a path for international players to come in and play in U Sport and play for three years, I know this has been talked about. I don't know if it's firmly in place yet. Three or four years and qualify. As, as non-imports, you're replenishing the, the player pool and you're creating better competition at U-Sports schools. You could even start even talking about, uh, you know, potential expansion in some cases. Yeah. I, I mean, the name that always stands out to me when, when that conversation gets brought up is Dr. Kasama, yeah. guy that I played yeah. against who was at Calgary. He was a Swedish national. But, I mean, by the end of it, he was more Canadian than a lot of the guys that, get, that qualify That's for right. national status in the CFL. Um, you know, I think... The guy, and then the guy that always comes to mind when I talk about dubious Canadianship is uh, Ben Cahoon, yeah. who I'm glad Andrew Harris is breaking his records right now because nothing against the guy personally, mm-hmm. but he's like Mr. Utah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, one of his parents, I think, was the connection, happened to be born in Canada, and that was it. And it's like, but he was like, he went to high school in Utah, he went to college in Utah, he played some pro in Utah, and then he came up here and dominated, was a fantastic player, but like that guy, nothing to do with Canada except for one one generation down the line. So these guys have a lot better claim to stay in Canada, but on that international process, U Sports has to act fat on, fast on it or they will be missing the boat because the American schools are starting to realize that there's some talent out there and you're starting to see guys guys coming into big-time American schools from Germany, from 
Italy, from the UK. Uh, you're going down to Australia all the time for kickers now. So 39 kickers uh, in Division One and Division Two from all the rosters that I look through. Yeah. 39. Yeah, wow. Right? Yeah. That used to be the, uh, the domain of Canadians, actually. We used to be able to send a handful of kickers down into the NCAA. Yeah, we did, yeah. But, uh, like, a, I'm, a, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and, like, they, they just made Michael Dixon one of the highest-drafted punters ever, and they are just floored with the things this kid can do. He's a fantastic kicker as, a, as an Australian punter. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up here before we close this thing out is the whole idea of asterisk Canadians and where they fit into this. We just touched on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, Javon Holland is a guy that comes to mind. Outstanding uh, second-year player at Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, his dad played in the Canadian Football yeah. League, coached around here for a while. I believe he's still in the community around Robert here. Holland. Robert yeah. Holland. Yeah, he is. Um, and, you know, he left Canada at the age of eight. Mm -hmm. Didn't really spend much time in the development system, uh, if, if at all, mm -hmm. uh, uh, really. And there's a few of them. Mike Beaudry is another guy that comes to mind. He's a starting quarterback at UConn right now. Mm -hmm. Left Regina, born in Regina. Uh, left Regina at the uh, age of 12. Yeah. Uh, tells anybody who wants to listen, hey, I'm a Canadian. But yeah. he developed in the States. Yeah. May have played a couple of years in Regina in, in their minor development program. Yeah. Uh, but he developed in the States. Where do we, how do we consider these guys Canadian? Like, like, like not, not to say that we shouldn't, or yeah. not to say that we should. Yeah. They're, they're kind of in this purgatory yeah. in, in, terms of, in terms of nationalism. And, and I bring that up also because we've got this award, the Cornish Award, that we created a couple of years yeah. ago. How do we consider these guys ahead of some guy that, that, that has developed all the way up to, say, grade 10 or grade 11 and is left for, a, for an academy in the States? Yeah. Or some uh, a player like Chuba Hubbard, or a player uh, like Chase Claypool that played all their high school here, and then were discovered, and then played in the state. How do we compare these guys as Canadians? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question becomes what you were just touching on, which is where do you draw the line? Like, yeah. where where do you say, okay, at this point in time, you are no longer Canadian. You've spent too much of your life in the United States. You've spent too much of your development in the United States. I. I bristle at seeing some of the, the uh, taking advantage of that status for some of these guys that are kind of borderline NFL guys that, are, that may kick around the back end of an NFL roster and then they find out, oh, but you could be a stud in the CFL because not only are you a good player, you now can qualify as a national and you have a much higher value in the, in the, in the league and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, now those guys are making, making more money as well. Like, I, I bristle at that being abused. Um, that being said, though, like if it's a tool to get talent into the league, then maybe it's a good thing, right? And I mean, Alex Singleton's a good example. Darius Vladek is another great example. Yeah. and they're both great guys, and they're both great football players too. And they both, and, I, and full credit to both of them, they both fully embraced the Canadian side of them since they've come up here. More so than many Canadians who grew up here, I might add, in yeah. some cases. <laughs> but um, like. Uh, I remember us uh, when the radio show was still running yep. and Vladek was entering the draft, we had him on the show mm -hmm. and he fully admitted that he knew next to nothing about Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, Love the honesty. Yeah. yeah. And But like, how is that guy getting classified as a national? Why is he getting put into a draft pool uh, and, and picked against guys that I played with, mm -hmm. you know? And, and uh, I don't know, it's, I've really flipped back and forth on the issue, and, and I, it's almost like the league's kind of flipped back and forth on the issue, too, because um, like I, 
I think the conversation has to be tied in with what the ratio is. Those, those two things have to, have to be settled in conjunction with each other. I think one way you can go is the ratio actually should be higher mm -hmm. and you continue to loosen the national guidelines. So you can grandfather guys in who played college here or do what they used to do back in the day, like Ron Lancaster, and grandfather guys in that played up here for so long in the CFL that they then became a national. Well, I know that our registration overall uh, was down 6.5% over the last couple of years, uh, probably an overall trend of 20%. Mm -hmm. If there was ever a time where the professional league could demonstrate to youth that development is important and putting players on a development path who are here mm -hmm. uh, in this country into that system is important, this would be the time to do it, yeah. not open things up to people who are barely Canadian yeah. or Canadian because they but, heard a rumor yeah. and found out it was true. Yeah. Well, but that then, like I said, though, that then the ratio debate gets reignited too, because then you're going to have a lot of voices saying, well, if this is, if we are now further restricting uh, what a national is, we already have a hard enough time finding nationals that can compete at this level. Well, do you believe that though? Do you believe that we have a hard enough time finding nationals that can compete at this level? Uh, having watched the Lions offensive line this year, yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, actually watching their receiving core this year. The uh, Lions were, were a team that uh, in their first regular season game, I believe, started 10 Canadians. Yeah, they were over the ratio for yeah. their first regular season game. Yeah. But, I mean, just on that one unit, they have spent... I think three first-round picks there in the last five years. Uh, they had a high-priced trade acquisition in, in David Foucault, uh, and none of those guys is panning out. Like they none ended up starting yeah. uh, last year. They ended up starting Andrew Pearson, an undrafted guy at center, mm -hmm. uh, and he started a couple games this year too. Um, Hunter Stewart's been around for a while now. He's like the one Canadian offensive lineman that they that they have definitely hit on. Mm -hmm. Aside from injury issues, he's been excellent for them. Um, but yeah, like it's, I, I just watching that team and, and full disclosure, like I have not followed the CFL season across the country overly closely. The Lions have been brutal. So I've kind of checked out and started focusing on my own football team that I coach and stuff like that. But using that as a litmus test and given that they're adding another team next year, I, 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 I understand that argument. I don't like that that's an argument, but I understand that argument. Okay, uh, we should quit arguing here. We should leave some good material for our second week of this uh, podcast, but uh, this is a good way to close it out. Gord, uh, let's do this next week and see if we can tie old Mike Hogan into this. Fair enough. As long as he doesn't uh, take away from my airtime, I'm, I'm on board. Well, that happens all the time. Okay, <laughs> later. Later.